Here's a phrase that I bet you're probably tired of hearing and talking about. Social distancing. Yeah. Social distancing. In this reality of COVID-19, you're probably, I don't want to talk about that anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. I'm trying to find new ways to do this. But it's so frustrating to try to figure out how to do life and still do this, social distancing. Well, here's a phrase maybe that you've never heard, and maybe it's never been a thing until now, and I'm not saying it'll be a thing just because I bring it up, but it's going to be a thing for the next little bit while we talk about it, spiritual distancing, spiritual distancing. You see, as we jump back into Jonah's story, Jonah's story is a story of spiritual distancing, at at least from Jonah's standpoint. Spiritual distancing happens when you look at someone else or a group of people, a group of others, and you just assume that they're worse off spiritually than you, that they're bigger sinners than you. They got more issues than you. Or you look at an individual or a group of people, a group of others, and you assume and decide even though you may not come right out and say it, that somehow you are better than them. That whoever the them is, and isn't it true that at some point in our life we've probably all had a them. You just kind of look at them and you may not say it about them, but you just feel they're worse off than you and you are better than them and you have your reasons. You have your reasons? Oh yeah. Maybe they live differently. Maybe they believe differently or they think differently, or they vote differently, or maybe even they look different than you. And and here's the interesting thing as Christians, people in the church, we often go right to the Bible and we think we often find evidence and proof of why we should treat them differently or see them differently that they are worse off than we are, that we are somehow better than they are. Yeah, this is an issue. This is an issue. This thing of spiritual distancing. And the sad truth is, is that spiritual distancing almost always leads back to a real social distancing. Where now you look at that person or that group of people that you have for whatever reason and you have your reasons and you may even have reasons that you think you found in the Bible to back that up. You look at them and you've decided that since they are worse off than you, that they're worse than you, bigger sinners than you, and that somehow you are better than they are, again, even though you wouldn't come right out and say it, that you're going to isolate yourself from them. You're going to distance yourself from them. Maybe you even throw blame towards them. And the bottom line is there's just division between you and them. Yeah, this was Jonah's situation. This is what Jonah did. Jonah was spiritually distancing himself from a group of people, and it yielded a social distancing. And not only did Jonah do it, he wanted God to do it too, and got upset at God when God wouldn't join him (laughs) And he went way overboard, literally, through all this. Go back to week one if you need to, to brush up on the story, or, you know, go back to that video that played right before I started speaking, and it kind of gives you the highlight that God asked Jonah to go to the people of Nineveh and let them know that because of the evil 
present in their culture and present in their lives that God was getting ready to hold them accountable. Well, Jonah didn't want to do that. In fact, let's just pick it up right here in the story. We saw some of this before, but just, just to remind you. But Jonah got up and he went the opposite direction. The opposite direction to get away from the Lord. And he went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish, which was in southern Spain. And he bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Right? What an odd thing. What a weird thing. But he was basically just saying, you know, I, I, don't, I don't want to be around these people of Nineveh. They're too bad. They're, they're much worse than me. And this spiritual distancing, I don't want them to, I don't want to be around them. And I, and I don't really want to talk to them about God. It led to a literal social distancing where he went across the Mediterranean or was headed across the Mediterranean to get away from them and specifically God. And we know the story. We talked about this in week one. God sent a big storm to kind of get Jonah's attention. Jonah ended up overboard in the ship and a big fish, a great fish, maybe even a whale. A lot of people assume it was a whale. Swallowed Jonah and for three days and three nights, Jonah spent in the belly of that great fish. And he changed his mind as spending three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish will often make you do. He changed his mind. And then he did go to Nineveh and he did deliver the message that God wanted him to deliver. And the Ninevites changed their mind. They changed their way of life. They believed what God said and God spared them. God saved them. And Jonah got upset with God. Look at it. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. At who? At God. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why. That is why I went away to Tarsus. Didn't I say you would do this? Just amazing, isn't it? Can you imagine having a conversation like this with God? Let's go on. I knew God, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. You're a merciful God, a compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. You think that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. Jonah's like, no, I am sick of this. God, you're doing the same thing that you always do. You're being merciful, you're being gracious, and these people don't need it. These people don't deserve it. In fact, he took it to the point of drama. And we, we saw this in week one, just kill me now, Lord, right? Lord, I'd rather be dead than alive if, if what I predicted will not happen. And then the Lord replied, oh, this is interesting. Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this? Hey, hey, hey Jonah, it, think about what you're doing. Jonah, think about what you're saying. Is it really right for you to be upset about this? And basically, that's how the story ends. Now, they had a little bit more back and forth, Jonah and God, but it was around this whole idea of, hey, you know, is it right for you to feel this way, Jonah? That I would be merciful and gracious to this group of people? That I would save them? Hmm. Here's some things that we learn about this whole situation. Just kind of summarizes. Jonah had his mind made up about the people of Nineveh. He just did. He, he had already kind of sized up the situation and evidently he knew enough about them, how they lived and how they did life and culture was pretty notorious and word had gotten out and Jonah knew about these people and he had already made his mind up. 
because they opposed God in their way of life. They opposed God with what they believed. They opposed God with how they lived. And Jonah had already made up his mind about who they were. He had already made up his mind about what they deserved as a result of who they were. And he had even gone so far to make up his mind about what he felt God should do about it. And Jonah was ready for God to lower the boom. That's what he wanted. He'd already made up his mind. But here's what's interesting. He had already made up his mind about this group of people who had opposed God. And so as a result, in rebellion against that, this is what Jonah did. Jonah opposed God. Isn't that fascinating? That he did the exact same kind of thing in his own way. It looked a little different, but he did the exact same kind of thing that the people of Nineveh were guilty of doing with the way they lived. Jonah decided, nope, I'm going to stiff arm God. Nope, I'm going to do my own thing. Nope, God, I'm not going to do what I know you want me to do. I'm going to buy a ticket to Tarshish and I'm going to sail across the Mediterranean Sea to get there and see if I can just get you to forget about this or leave me alone and let the Ninevites just self-destruct. He opposed God. We'll come back to that. One more. Jonah dismissed. This is so interesting. Jonah dismissed that he needed saving too. Yeah, I mean, when you find yourself in the belly of a whale, a great fish for three days and three nights. You need saving. Isn't it interesting that Jonah found himself in his own whale of a mess in need of the very thing he didn't want the people in Nineveh to have? I'll say that again. Jonah personally was in need of the very thing he didn't want the people in Nineveh to have because they were so evil, they were so wicked, they were so bad, they were much worse than he was and he was much better than they were. He had spiritually distanced, now he was trying to social distance and you know what he needed? He needed God's grace and mercy, the very thing he wanted denied from the Ninevites. It's exactly what he needed. Now, now the point, this is so important. The point of this whole story is not that it once happened way back when in 750 BC, in that, that area, in that time. The point is not that it happened way back then. The point and the reason, the main reason that God shares this story with us, that it's in the Old Testament scriptures and we go back to it, is not that it happened. The point is that it happens still. Yeah, I mean, the details look a little bit different and you and I are thrown in there and the situations are a little bit different. But yeah, even today, Christians and churches do the same kinds of things. People who love God and follow Jesus and are good people and you know, God-fearing people, people like me, people like you, people that go to church, and people that even go to church when they can't go to church, they watch online when they're having to quarantine. Yeah, good people, salt of the earth, good, good folk, good folk, yeah, tend to do the same thing that Jonah did. It's not that it happened. The interesting thing is that it still happens, and you see it in the way we think, in the way we live, 
You can even see it in the way we worship because they worship differently than we do. They don't think about God the same way we do, or maybe they don't think about him at all. And you can see it in the way we treat others. Oh, can you see it in the way we treat others? Yeah. So for the next few minutes, I just want to pose some questions for you and I to wrestle with together. Again, because there's a whole lot more similarities between Jonah and me and Jonah and you than we're probably comfortable admitting. Let's start with this. Just like Jonah. Who have you already made up your mind about? There's somebody. Or, or, or there's a group of people. There's somebody. I, I want you to reflect on this. Who have you already made up your mind about? And maybe you're not aware of it that you have, but you need to stop and think. Who basically have you already sized up? You've already sized them up. Maybe it's somebody in culture. And you've seen enough on this news outlet about them or this news outlet about them or, or you've seen enough articles, read enough articles or you've seen enough social media posts. You're pretty much sure what this kind of person, what this person is all about in culture. You, you have a pretty good idea. You've already made your mind up and you love talking about it. Yeah, you've already made up your mind about this person. Or could it be somebody that you work with, somebody at the office? Yeah, you've worked around them long enough that you think you know, you think you know their deal and what their issue is and what their problem is and what needs to happen with them and what they need to do and what they need to stop doing and what needs to be done to them pretty much sized them up. Maybe somebody in your own family, boy, we do this, don't we? Because see, we live with these people and because we are close to them in proximity, we do know a lot about them, but it doesn't mean we know everything about them. But we've convinced ourselves we know enough to pretty much size them up and go, I know what their real problem is. I know what their issue is. I live with them. I know. I know. I know what his problem is. I know what her problem is. We already have our mind made up about them. Or it could be somebody you go to church with. Happens all the time. Somebody you're in a small group with. Happens all the time. What, you see them once a week? You see them once a week, and just by seeing them once a week on a Sunday or a Thursday night or whenever it is you see them, and then you see kind of glimpses of them on social media or whatever, and you're like, oh, yeah, you ain't fooling nobody. You ain't fooling nobody. I know who you are. I know what you're about. Yeah, I, I know the real you, and you think you've got them all sized up. Already got your mind made up about them. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. How does it make you feel when someone does that to you? I mean, we've had this happen to us. I've had it happen to me. It happens to me all the time. And I know how it makes me feel. When someone looks at you or someone looks at me and with a limited amount of information or just one side of the story, they pretty much size you up. They size me up. They pretty much make their minds up. Yeah, I know what you're about. Yeah, I know what the situation is. And they make their mind up about you. How does that make you feel? You know what you say? You know what I say? Oh, yeah, we say the same kinds of things. When we have the opportunity to respond, we say, hey, listen, you don't know me. You don't know what's going on in my life. You only have half the story. You only have a partial picture. You don't know the whole story. You don't know what's really going on. How could you possibly make your mind up and draw those conclusions about me when you don't really know me? Who have you already made up your mind about? 
We're talking about that person in your life that when God does something great for them, you get ticked. You get upset. You go Jonah, right? When God begins to do something great for them or something good happens to them, you get all bent out of shape. You're like, man, they do not deserve that raise. They do not deserve that promotion. They got that instead of me. Or why them? Why did they get a new car? The car they had was working just fine. I don't understand. I just don't understand why they get the new house. I mean, right? Is it, was it not big enough? Was it not new enough? I don't understand why God blesses them with a baby. We've been trying to have a baby. I, you keep filling in the blank. I'm just pulling things out. Or, or whatever blessing they get, whatever good thing happens to them, you get all been out of shape because you've already made up your mind about them, who they are, what they deserve, and what God should do or should not do as a result. Just like Jonah. Here's another way to unpack it about who you've already made your mind up about. Because we do this. I do this. You do this. God help us, but we do this. You get skeptical when you begin to hear whoever this is that you've already made your mind up about. You've already sized them up and written them off maybe or put them in a category. You get real skeptical when you begin to hear that their life has changed, that God has done something powerful in their life and that they've, they've come to Jesus and they've started going to church or, or things are turning around in their life. You get real skeptical and it sounds like, yeah, right, yeah, right. He's going to church? Oh, what, she's found Jesus? Oh, yeah, right, yeah, right. I believe it when I see it. Yeah, I know what's really going on. Yeah, yeah, right. Because we've already made up our mind. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. You just wait. You just wait. That won't last. That, that, you know, but that's not real. It's interesting. It's really sad how we tend to want others to get what we feel they deserve. And yet when it comes to you and me, we want mercy and we want grace. For ourselves. Yeah, that, that's the heart issue that Jonah dealt with. That's the heart issue that you and I deal with. Who is it that you've already got your mind made up about? You never know. You never know what God's up to in someone's life. But let's, let's another question here. Let's, let's go a step further. Where are you, like Jonah, and I know the details look different, but where are you opposing God, stiff-arming God, where are you running from God? I know it's hard for us to admit this, but reflect on this. You know, me? No, 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 really? As a pastor, I have a unique vantage point, and I see this in people's lives. It looks different for different people in different situations, but often it's like a, you know, they stiff arm church. Well, that's it. I'm not going to church. That's it. I'm done with church. That's it. You know, I'm not going back, blah, blah, blah. Or, or a lot of times, this is interesting, they hear about a series that's coming up and the series that the church is getting ready to do, maybe here at the summit, is going to touch on a thing in their life that they're not really, really willing to deal with and they know they, don't, they ought to change, they don't want to change, they really don't want to think about it and talk about it. So, well, I'm not going to church for that series. I'll just wait for the next one and maybe, you know, maybe it'll be something I'm really interested in, right? Maybe it's a series on money. And they, ain't want to talk, they don't want to talk about money or a series on relationships or forgiving. You know, I don't want to do that. You know, I don't, they don't know my situation. My situation is different. So they just you know, skip church for that series. How are you 
opposing God. Maybe you are opposing God by avoiding a relationship that you need to invest into or avoiding a conversation that you know God wants you to have. Maybe you're opposing God and running from God and and what it looks like for you is that, okay, prayer, Uh uh-uh, you don't want to pray. You don't want to pray. You don't want to talk to God because you're mad at God. You're upset at God. You're trying to avoid God. Read the Bible. I'm not going to read the Bible. You don't want to do anything that challenges you. You don't want to do anything that pushes you to consider what God wants you to do. And go to a group. I don't want to go to a group with a group of people, small group, and they all sit around and talk about how God is at work in their life. That's just going to make me feel bad. So you're opposing God. Yeah. You know what you need to do or you know what you need to not do or stop doing. You know. How are you and where are you opposing God? One more, one more question. How have you forgotten? You still need saving. You still need God to rescue you. Where in your life, how in your life do you kind of look, and even though you don't come right out and say it, it's like you think you've arrived. I got this figured out. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it handled. I know what's going on. Nope. You know what? I don't have that problem. No, 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 no. I'm on top of it. I got it figured out. I know what I'm going to do. Yeah. How in your life have you forgotten that you still need saving? Where in your life do you say, I'm I'm better. I'm better than that. I'm better. I'm better than them. And you don't say it out loud because that would sound awful. But where in your life, how in your life have you let pride take over? See, pride is a dangerous thing, especially when it's quiet and it's unspoken as pride often is. Yeah, that quiet arrogance where you just kind of look at others and go, oh, poor pitiful people. And you look in the mirror and like, hey, look at me. Well, I'm not perfect. God knows I'm not perfect, but I got it going on. I got this thing figured out. I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing all right. And you have lost sight of the fact that you still need saving. That you find yourself and you have a hard time admitting the whale of a mess that you have been swallowed up by. Where is dishonesty still a problem in your life? That little white lie, that little deception, that little not quite the whole truth and not, you know. Where in your life is greed still at work? And you still need God to save you from that greediness, that stinginess. Where in your life and how in your life do you still struggle with control issues? You want to be able to control everything. And you don't see it as control, right? You see it as, I care. I'm trying to be careful. No, but everybody else looks at it and we know it's control. And and truth be told, we don't like to talk about this, but it's our control issues that that often lead to so much unwanted anxiety. Yeah, because you want to be able to control what happens in the outcome. And when you can't control, you see, you've lost sight of the fact that you still need God to save you from that desire to always be in control. It could be that where you still need God to save you It's with the racism 
that's still within your thinking and within your heart? Yeah. Or it could be in your life, it's bitterness because of something that they did to you or something that's happened to you or something that didn't happen that should have happened. Or it could be, it's just pure selfishness. I I don't know for you, but if you'll think about it, I believe God will show you where he is still very much at work in your life. He's still at work in your life. Where? How? Have you forgotten? You still need saving. You need what maybe you don't feel that other people deserve for God to still be at work in your life. Now, I know some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, well, man, what about, okay, what about accountability? What about responsibility? What about truth? I mean, what about just holding people accountable to what's happening here? Why, why turn this back on Jonah? Let's talk about the Ninevites and what they deserved and what their issues were. Wait, 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 wait. That's what God was doing. God was addressing their situation and holding them accountable. That's why he sent Jonah to begin with. Don't lose sight of that. God was going to address it. God was going to deal with it, and he wanted to use Jonah to do it. Now, we'll, we'll finish the series next week, and we will talk about what God was up to, and we will learn some very interesting and powerful things about God, maybe some things that you and I have overlooked. But I'll just give you a hint. What God was wanting to do and use Jonah to accomplish is extend his grace to the people of Nineveh and give them an opportunity to respond to his grace. Because see, that's our role, really. That's my role, that's your role, that's our job, is to join God in his work on earth by bringing grace to others. Because the truth is, grace wins more people than judgment does. Grace wins and is far more convincing. In fact, this, this is fascinating. Look at this. This is one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. Paul writes to the Romans that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. God's kindness. That when you interact with how kind God is, it makes you want to change your thinking. That's what the word repentance is about. He didn't say God's wrath, God's judgment. He said God's kindness is what leads us to repentance. Just ask Jonah as he spent three days and nights in the belly of a fish. Just the fact that God swallowed him up with a fish instead of killing him was God's grace, giving him a second chance. Ask the Ninevites. Ask them if they were not recipients of God's great grace and if that wasn't transformative in their lives. See, it is our job to point people to the love of God through Jesus by extending grace Grace that we want, right? Grace that we need, whether we admit it or not, we should graciously share with others. Now, this is Father's Day weekend. Uh, Happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. We're so grateful for you. And, And there's something that dads often say to little kids. I can remember when my dad used to say this to me. I can remember being about five years old, and maybe you can remember when your dad used to say this to you. Dads, uh, always, and to me, find a time in your life, I think, when, when you've had an experience like this. This is just one of those dad things to say. When dad's working on something, when dad's, you know, piddling with something, or dad's fixing something, 
Dad will often look to a kid and he'll say, hey, 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 come over here. Stand here and hold the light for me. I want you to stand right here and I want you to hold this flashlight for me. Hold the light here so I can see what I'm doing. Your dad ever said that to you? I can remember that. Being like five years old and holding the light for dad. You know, he's working on the boat or something. He's working on something electrical and, and the wires and everything. And I'm standing there. I'm glad to do it at first. But after about five minutes, you know, you're five years old and you get fidgety and you get a little tired. And I can remember like falling asleep, standing there. And you're like, hold the light. All I want you to do is just hold the light. Just hold the light while I fix this. You get that? The job of the kid is to hold the light while dad fixes whatever it is dad is working on. That's my job. That's your job. That was Jonah's job and Jonah missed it. It's to shine the light. I can't fix people. You can't fix people. We can't fix culture. We can't fix situation, but it's our job to hold the light of God's love and God's grace and God's kindness that leads people to repentance and God's mercy and God's peace. Yeah, shine the light of God's love by the way we treat them and let God work on them. We shine the light, we hold the light while God addresses situations and people. Ultimately, our job is to illuminate the dark around us as we hold the light for our Heavenly Father to do what only he can do in the lives of people. That is why God sent Jonah to Nineveh and he missed it. He missed the whole point of it. May we learn from Jonah. May I learn from Jonah and may you learn from Jonah and let's not miss this in our own lives. Let's hold the light. We don't have it all figured out. But we don't have to have it all figured out because we're not the ones fixing people and fixing situations and fixing our world. That's God's job. We just hold the light. So here's what I want you to do. Here's what I'm going to challenge myself with. I'm going to put these questions back up here and I want you to sit with these. Right, to maybe take a picture of them, somehow screenshot it. and I want you to sit with these this week. There's a whole lot more Jonah in me and a whole lot more Jonah in you than we're comfortable admitting. You, who have you already made your mind up about? Where are you opposing God? And, and how have you forgotten that you still need saving? You still need God to do for you what sometimes you get frustrated that God does for other people and think they don't deserve it and they don't need it. You still need that. So who are we to go Jonah on God and on people? Now, it's like that little, that little song that when I was growing up in church, they taught us as kids. It's not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. So let's pray that God would help us. Father, thank you for including the story in the Old Testament scriptures, not so that we will know that it happened, but so that we will know what to do when it still happens in our lives and in the lives of people around us. Father, help me to not make my mind up ahead of time and size people up while you're still at work in people's hearts and lives and you're still changing people and you're still doing amazing things and 
Help us to be aware of who we've already written off. And may we extend the grace that we need to others. Father, help me be aware. Help us to be aware of how we're opposing you. Where we're stiff-arming you. Where we're running from you. And, And then show us how we have forgotten that we still need you to save us, to rescue us, to be at work in our lives and show us where your focus is in our lives and what you're up to. And may we cooperate. And may we not lose sight that our real job is not to fix people and fix situations and fix evil and fix the Ninevites of the world, but to simply hold the light of your love and your grace and your mercy while you work and do what only you can do. Father, I'm a whole lot more like Jonah than often I want to admit. So help me be a whole lot more like Jesus and less like Jonah. And help us to be more like Jesus and less like Jonah. In Jesus' name, amen.